Good morning. Am I on? It's back here, so I can't quite see it, so I wanted to make sure. Well, it is a distinct pleasure to bring you the Word of God this morning, especially on a morning where we don't have connection hour and my time is endless. It is such... I'm surprised that you gave up this day, Pastor Ben, because it's just uh, limitless what you can talk about. The over 35 group, if it starts at 11.30, you're good with that too, right? It's not going to burn, right? We're good? Uh, Once again, I want to thank you for this absolute privilege to bring you God's Word this morning. Uh, Thank you to Pastor Ben and the elders for this opportunity. And, you know, just just so you know, it takes me about 20 hours to put a sermon together, Ben about two or three, me about 20. And those hours got to come from somewhere. And so I know it's a sacrifice for Jenny and our family to do this, but I also believe that it's an important thing for the elders of this church to do, so that's why I'm up here this morning. A couple of uh, quick housekeeping items this morning. Um, This one's for you, Dave Gross. I I still have a beard. I know it's no shave November is over, but in the true... You like it when I shave, right, Dave? Okay, it doesn't matter to you. That's good. No shave November is over, but in the true spirit of trying to be as Christ-like as possible, (laughs) every account that I've seen, he has a beard, so I just want to try to be... Well, the truth is that now that I'm out of TV, it's been a couple of years now, and I feel a little freedom in being able to grow a beard. I used to work in television for 20 years where they discouraged the, uh, the facial hair for whatever reason. So I found that there's actually a little bit of extra warmth with the beard when I walk the dog or go, go hunting or whatever, so that's why I'm still keeping it here into the new year. So... Uh, I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to shave it, and my wife hasn't complained too much, and, and so far it's also making up for the loss of hair on the top of my head, so I, I kind of enjoy that as well. The, the other thing I wanted to mention that is that Pastor Ben was up here earlier today, and you're probably wondering, he, he's, he's here, why isn't he here? We're paying him to be here, why is he there? The truth is that most of the elders agreed that it was time to give him some vacation, I didn't think it was a good idea, but because I knew what was going to happen. Um, but uh, obviously, time with family is very important. So we're glad that Ben was able to take that time uh, away with family. And and also, um, who here ap- appreciates Ben's preaching style? Uh, show of hands, clap, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and, and the reason why I'm up here today is so that next week you'll appreciate it even more what he has to say in his preaching style. When Ben asked me to do this uh, sermon yesterday, it just sounds more impressive, doesn't it? Now, several weeks ago, I thought, well, what am I going to talk about? I mean, we're going to be finishing up Ephesians. Do I just go into Philippians? Is that how that works? Well, he said you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. He didn't even say I had to talk about the Bible, but I thought, well, yeah, it's overused, and we talk about it a lot in church, but maybe we'll include some Bible passages. And I thought, well, it's the new year, 2015, the first Sunday of the new year, and as Sheen alluded to last week, I'm not exactly the best guy to be talking about keeping resolutions, 
one of the typical New Year's resolutions. Does this battery pack make me look big? <laughs> so, I, you know, in thinking of what could I talk about, bring to you this morning, you know, things race through your mind, and, and you go back to an earlier time, and, and, well, this is what I came up with. So when others turn to John Piper for Matt Chandler, I turn to Andre Agassi. <laughs> the reason why I bring up Andre Agassi is because of this commercial back in 1990. And, and reading up a little bit more on Andre Agassi, that hair right there is really, it's not real. Yeah, believe it or not, it's not real. Back in 1990 when that commercial was shot, he was wearing a wig. And back in 1990, he was in the finals of the French Open. The finals of a Grand Slam tournament. He was in the shower with his wig. It must have been one of those permanent things. He was in the shower, and it started shredding on him. The night before the championship match, I think it was against Andres Gomez back in 1990. So he's in Paris at the French Open, and his brother is driving all around Paris. I'm sure he doesn't know exactly where to go to find hair clips, but that's what he was doing. His brother was driving all around Paris trying to find some hair clips to help keep his hairpiece on. And he describes in his autobiography that he was so concerned about protecting this image, this long-haired rebel image, he was so concerned about losing his hairpiece on the court that it affected his game. He lost three sets to one in that final, that Grand Slam final of the French Open. And he struggled with this image for several years before in 1995, he actually decided to shave it all off. In addition to shaving his head, he decided to rededicate himself to the game of tennis, get himself into better shape. He got a different coach, and it made a huge difference. He was good before, but he was so concerned about protecting that image that it didn't allow him to be the best that he could be. So if you compare the two, let's say 1986 to 1994, he had 24 titles. He had two grand slams. But once he rededicated himself, tried to ditch maintaining the image and actually tried to become a better tennis player and maybe stoke his legacy a little bit, things changed from 1995 to 2005, roughly the same period of time. You have to ignore 1997 because he had a meth addiction at that time. But he had 36 titles, six Grand Slams, and one Olympic gold medal. Lessons to be learned here from Andre Agassi. Don't 
don't trust somebody who apparently has a lot of hair? You can trust me. (laughs) Or is it the fact that we work so hard to protect our image that we maybe lose sight on leaving a legacy? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you for this opportunity, dear Lord, that it's not about Andre Agassi, it's about you and reflecting your image. Dear Lord, I just pray for the Holy Spirit to engulf this place this morning, that you take control of my words, dear Lord, and that no matter what words are heard, what distractions are heard, dear Lord, that it's just reinforcement that you are here and that you have a message for every single one of us as we sit here today. In thy name we pray. Amen. This is actually the true start of my sermon message this morning, my daughter Willow. For those of you who don't know me very well, we've had some well-documented trials over the last 16 months, and today is her 16-month birthday. And I've just struggled with my little pea brain here. Every time I look at Willow and I think about the open-heart surgery that she went through at one month of age, that just one month ago today we were being life-flighted to Sioux Falls to have emergency hernia surgery. And and it just, the thought that keeps going through my mind is that uh, she's been created in God's image. She's a little precious one created in God's image. But the thing that I just keep struggling with when I... When I keep thinking of she's a reflection of God, is that I think, does my God have limitations? Does he have low muscle tone? Does he need surgery after surgery? Does he need constant, constant uh, trips to the doctor to maintain his health? And it's only because of my perception of what image is that's kind of forced me to look into this a little bit more because I felt a little uncomfortable with Willow being created in God's image. And if you look around you today, and feel free to do that right now, look around you, and if you think of, of the, all of us being created in God's image, you know, I hope my God is better looking than the people next to me. <laughs> and it's because of my understanding of what image means My son, well, the whole family, actually, we went to the eye doctor on the 30th of December to use up our flex dollars. We didn't wait until the last minute. It was the 30th of December, (laughs) not the 31st. So I went to the eye doctor in the morning. My son went to the eye doctor in the afternoon. And uh, the optometrist said, well... Look at you, Lake, and you look just like your father. And without missing a beat, he said, Yeah, but I have a whole head of hair. <laughs> but he's just reinforcing what my image of what likeness is, what image is. And so it, it just forced me to dive a little deeper into it. And so whenever, you know, for the last... Well, my entire life, uh, 
for the last, you know, 30 years. I have had this conception of us being created in God's image, and so then I've had no problem with thinking of God in this way. Or even this way. God in Bruce Almighty, Morgan Freeman style. That's been okay with me because according to the Old Testament, we were created in his image. But that's not exactly the way it's spelled out in the Bible if you look a little bit deeper into it, especially if you look through John. God is spirit. It doesn't really refer to this earthly image that I was only able to conjure up because of my limited ability to think through it. So as we dive a little bit deeper into this, let's just start with the Old Testament version of what image means. Starting in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, even those creepy, crawly things. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I should have got a hint there. God can't be created. We can't be in his image and kind of be male and female. God is spirit. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and every living thing that moves on the earth. So the Old Testament perspective of God's image. How are we created in his likeness or his image? Dropping the thing that I've believed for 43 years, okay, I'm admitting it, not a physical likeness at all, according to the Old Testament. It's just God's personal touch on us that we have authority over the animals, spirit, soul. We're emotional. We desire to be with one another, and we have that thing that gets us into trouble, free will. But as we look past the Old Testament, because I believe the Old Testament has been fulfilled, so I'd like to concentrate in the New Testament just a little bit more. There is a New Testament version of an image makeover. If we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Anybody recognize this passage of Scripture? A little higher. You're sitting right there. As we went through Ephesians this fall, this is... uh, one of, uh, one of the passages we worked through, of course, and, and, and Ben took us through this, and, and I, I think it was during this passage. Now, if I'm getting this wrong, I wasn't expected to be corrected right on the spot. But Ben also referred to a bunch of statistics from the Barna Group. Now, I have to admit that I was a little bit in and out during this time. I was taking Willow, I can remember it specifically, right out that door while Ben was preaching, and I had to listen to the bulk of the sermon beyond those doors, and that's why we have the speakers out there. And I won't recap all the statistics that Ben brought to us that day, but I'll just uh, recap kind of a synopsis. I'll paraphrase them for you. That to the people who are on the outside of these church walls... To the non-Christians, they don't see much of a difference between the people on the outside of these walls and the people inside these walls. That to them, we lie about the same, we cheat about the same, we are unfaithful to our wives about the same, we get a divorce we have a divorce rate that is about the sta- the same that statistically there's not much difference between Christians and non-Christians to the non-Christians outside of these walls that if there is a difference that it is statistically insignificant it's kind of a big deal when you're evangelical and you want to minister to the people who are outside of these walls, that they don't quite see a difference. They don't don't see a reason for signing up to become one of us. And I partially blame the evangelical church. I mean, we're going to have to take some of the blame for this. And I bring up Matt Woods just to show you another reason why you want to pay attention during some of these sermons, because you might actually get something from them. He came and spoke to us about three years ago, and he was was promoting the Impact World World Tour. Is that right, Ken? YWAM. And he said something that day that has stuck with me, and it's been in my craw ever since. He said, we Christians... When we are doing evangelizing, we are promoting a lie for the most part. And that lie is that salvation is an absolute free gift. And if you couple that with once saved, always saved, and it's an absolute free gift with absolutely no strings attached, it's no wonder that we have Christians that behave exactly like the world because there are no expectations to change the way they behave. And that just proves even further 
as Ben alluded to, that you have to let Christ do the changing and realize that he is the authority for change in your life. And that's why I like to turn to Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians. I don't know if he wrote it a little bit later than, than, than his letter to the Ephesians and maybe had a little bit more ink in his quill. I just think that he describes it just a little bit better in Colossians. Chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What I like about this passage is it shows action. That when it comes to salvation and the New Testament makeover, that the real image makeover requires action. Now, I'm not just going to throw this out to you and not give you a little bit of a plan. So, if you take nothing else away from this message today, I, I, I want you to take away these next two words that I bring your way. The action plan for today, an AA meeting, if you will. Authentic. A true image makeover at the hands of our Creator needs to be authentic. And what do I mean by that? What am I getting at? It has more to do with our society than anything else. If you look at the way our society interacts with one another, especially the younger generation, and especially if that, that's the generation we want to meet with the message of Jesus Christ, social media is huge. I don't quite get it myself. How how you're being real social by yourself behind a computer, an iPhone, or an iPad. Okay, I, I don't get it. I'll be upfront and honest with you. It's not for me to get or understand. It's for me to deal with and figure out the best way as a church to deal with it. But today's people of today, they want to be safe behind their technology. They want to be social but more importantly, they want to be authentic. And that means, surprisingly, that they might be able to hide behind their technology, but when they decide to finally engage people, they want to engage real people. And there seems to be a better sense for what is real, what is authentic, and what is fake. Now, I think of that in my job today. I work in the marketing department at Titan Machinery, 
and, and we're struggling, or we're not struggling necessarily with that issue, but we are studying that issue. That if you look at people and their car buying habits just five, six, seven years ago, they used to go down to a car dealership, visit one, two, three, four different car dealerships, trying to find the car they're looking for, trying to get the most information they can about the cars that are available out there. In today's world, they're doing all their interaction on social media, asking people what they think of certain cars, finding out how much those cars uh, cost, finding out safety ratings on those cars. So now they visit 1.2 dealerships. So they're kind of on their way to a second one and decide on the first one. And that's because they've done all their research, and by the time they actually enter the door of a dealership, they don't want salesmanship. They want a real person to interact with, and they want to complete the transaction. And we have to keep that in mind here within these walls of the church. And we've actually had this discussion in an elders' meeting. If you're wondering exactly what we do in elders' meetings... I couldn't recap everything we talk about, but I'll recap this one thing that we did talk about or have talked about the last couple of months. And that's our uh, stand and greet each other time here at Calvary. Now, there's new research out there that shows us that when visitors come through the doors, that this is the most uncomfortable time for them in a new setting. The stand and greet one another. And it's just people are, there are introverts by nature. Then there, of course, is our family where we are instantly thinking of hand wash after we greet one another. But more important, what is most uncomfortable for people when they come through the doors, new people, is that they refer to this as a stand and fake time as opposed to stand and shake time. That they feel that that's when the people at a given church, not this one, I'm, I'm of course talking about other churches, that this is the time where people are the least authentic is during the stand and greet time. No, we're not getting rid of it. We just need to work on being more authentic, apparently. So in addition to authentic, and remember, these are the two words I want to leave you with today, authentic and authority. When you're looking at a true image makeover from the Creator, authentic, authenticity, and authority. Where do you get that authority? From God's Word. Now, I'm going to be authentic and real with you right here. I do not have a modern translation paper Bible. (gasps) I was waiting for the big gasp and the air to leave the room. 
But what I've appreciated a, a lot, and I'm not going to say most, because there are a lot of things I've appreciated about, about Ben's perspective on ministry, is that we don't rely on ourselves as the authority for delivering God's word or creating our image. That we're here to reflect the image of the king. Now, as I stand up here today, I, I have to tell you, I, I'm not a seminary student. I've never gone to seminary. I'm not a big Bible scholar. And like I alluded to earlier, I've, I don't even own a modern translation of the Bible. I do study online versions of the Bible. I do do a daily devotion online. All I'm doing up here today is trying, trying to reflect the image of our king who has commanded us to use the authority of his word to speak to others. I'm not a perfect person. I sin every day. But I'm not going to let that sin get in the way of trying to put on that new image of God. As I tell my son every day, In this house, we do the right thing. In this house, we do the right thing. Not the most popular thing, not what everybody else is doing, but the right thing. And the right thing is according to the authority of God's Word. As we now finish up in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Oh, and by the way, be thankful. Forgot to advance that for you. Now, as we put on the new image of Jesus Christ, we realize that this is an active thing. That it's not image is everything. It's that reflecting his image is everything. And if we come to realize that reflecting his image is everything, it takes the pressure off us. I don't have to work so hard to make you think that I'm somebody that I'm not. I just have to use the authority of God's word 
and Jesus Christ as a Christian to reflect his image. And that will in turn create a long-term legacy that will be a long-term image that will stand the test of time. Let me just end today with just a couple of examples of authentic authority in action. And, and I use personal examples because I'm with me every day. I know me the best. As I mentioned earlier, we've, uh, our daughter Willow had emergency uh, hernia surgery about a month ago. And we've had people from this congregation that have stepped up to bear our burdens. We had a young couple from this church bring us a meal this week. This is a young couple that has a very young child themselves. And I don't want to name them because I didn't ask for their permission. And since we have a lot of young couples with a lot of young children... It could be a lot of them. But they brought us a meal this week. They had enough going on in their own lives, but they still took time out to put on the image of their king and drop off a meal. We had another young man, when we first went to the hospital, Nathaniel Neese, who offered to do the janitorial duties for us, and he did them for us. He and Pixie did the janitorial duties here at Calvary for us for two weeks. No one asked him to. He did it on his own, putting on the image of the Creator. We had another anonymous person send us a $100 gift in the mail knowing that we've probably spent a lot of money on gas and other things the last month, and the return address was the Christ child. Thank you very much. These are real-world solutions for real-world problems. At the same time, if we are putting on the image of the Creator within these doors so that we can differentiate ourselves from the people outside of these doors, that when they do see a difference between Christians and non-Christians and they, they do want to come in here and be a part of us, and they do choose to be authentic, ministry is messy. There are a lot of real-world problems out there that we're going to have to deal with. But if we're more concerned about putting the image of the Creator, putting on, actively putting on the image of the Creator to do God's ministry, aren't we building a better community to reach a community here at Calvary? Aren't we changing the world around us from the inside out? When we are more concerned 
about a deep, authentic image reflection in our lives. Isn't that going to be an image, a legacy that stands the test of time? We don't have to be worried about being exposed as a fraud like Andre Agassi was. The only thing we have to worry about is reflecting the image of our Creator. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you once again for this day. And we just pray that we continue to build this community within these walls, dear Lord, the way you want us to build them. You want us to build this community, dear Lord, with the ultimate goal, according to your scriptures, to reach this community outside these walls, dear Lord. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for the awesome outpouring of support that we've gotten from this church community and how awesome it would be if we had that same care and compassion for our coworkers, for our fellow students, for our neighbors outside of these walls. If we are truly concerned about reflecting your image, no matter where we go, we don't have to worry about our superficial image. And dear Lord, we just pray that you continue to work in us. Work on us as a congregation and work on us individually, dear Lord. We know all too well it's not a destination, but it is a journey with the ultimate destination being with you. In thy name we pray. Amen.